This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, a brand new name, and we have a guest today by the name of John Huey, who's been on many times before when we were known as AA Beyond Belief, and we're going to have an interesting conversation, so stay with us. Some time ago, uh, John and I put out a uh, episode that was talking about deprogramming from AA, and it was really a very popular episode. People always enjoy listening to whatever John has to say, and uh, so he um, he followed up with me a couple weeks ago and suggested another um, kind of addition to what we've talked about previously. And he mentioned that what, what inspired him to want to do this is in our Facebook group, um, the AA Beyond Belief Facebook group anyway, uh, he is finding a lot of people who seem to come in to the group making themselves miserable, trying to conform to things in AA that he thinks aren't really necessary to conform to. So, um, John, I, I hope I described that, that synopsis fairly well. Yeah, you know, you're always good at synopsizing things. <laughs> uh, congratulations on the new name Thank and you. the new format. Thank you. And uh, particularly, uh, congratulations on getting rid of those noxious initials. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, I have thank to tell you, you it's uh, it's actually freeing not to have the those initials in the name of the podcast because, and you know, it confused a lot of people. People would think that that this was some sort of an official um, AA podcast, or we had some sort of a program or something, and it's not. It's just a pod- podcast, and I'm just a guy with a podcast. So it's good to be just another recovery podcast, and right. Um, and, you know, secular guys who are not drunk uh, talking about uh, various conditions and ideas surrounding that. Yeah, that's all it is. Abso- absolutely. That's all it is. And it's not, uh, a, it's not you know, uh, some philosophical position that somebody wrote down in a book in 1939. Right. And, you know, um, our audience here anyway, they're very familiar with secular AA meetings. But those pe- those who might not have listened to this podcast before might not be familiar with that, that those things even exist. Uh, but there are uh, now like four or 500, I guess, um, secularized, secular formatted AA meetings all over the world. And John and I are familiar with that. We've been very actively involved in it, John, since the 1980s and me for the last five years or so. So we're real familiar with that. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about is going to have to do with AA and people that are discovering secular AA meetings for the first time, but having a really difficult time shedding off some of the dogma that comes comes from just regular AA meetings. So without putting any more words in your mouth, John, and telling you what you're going to talk uh, about, okay. you proceed, right. you proceed and set me straight. Let us know what you have to say. Right. Well, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of sources of stress in sobriety for people that show up on the forums that I'm familiar with. And in some of the meetings that I attend now, of course, used to, we used to attend in person here in D.C., but now everything is online. And uh, I don't get out and about around the country and the world too much on these Zoom meetings, but uh, I do see a number of people uh, particularly folks that are new or newish, uh, coming in with uh, all sorts of free-floating anxiety and stress, a lot of it seems to be related to some sort of preconceived notion that you have to adhere to some of the tenets of conventional AA. 
and that's particularly as regards uh, the steps, the traditions, and uh, the promises, and all of the other, you know, uh, sponsorship, all the other aspects that um, traditionalists seem to be particularly obsessed with. Um, and, and I just want to loop back a little bit to something I believe we talked about in, the, uh, in that initial uh, deprogramming uh, uh, chat that we had about a year ago. And, and that is the fact that uh, I always wonder, you know, when I see people coming in who seem to be devoted to all of the traditional AA tropes, I sometimes wonder what the hell they're doing hanging around with, you know, atheists like me or agnostics or, you know, non-believers in general. Because, you know, what that other program is, is a religious program. And it's uh, people have issues with that. They say it's spiritual and all of that crap. But, I, you know, I obviously have been saying for a long time and know as a matter of fact that it's a religion. Yeah, but I have an answer for you to that question, why they would come into um, a a secular program and still want to cling to the steps and so forth, is that, um, and I just speak from my my own experience, my own experience is that um, I was, I'm absolutely convinced, I'm I'm definitely an atheist, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind, there's absolutely, there's no God, it's ridiculous, Um, I don't have any concept of a God at all, and, um, but I was... I, I kind of grew up in AA. It was the biggest part of my life being in the AA and those steps. So it was just natural for me to secularize them, to put them into context with how I now view the world. And I think to a certain extent, that's what you're seeing with some of these people. Now, some of them are new and I think that they're, they're, they're on a different, they're, they're, their situation is a little bit different than mine. I think with the newer people, I think that there is a bit of a desire to conform to the group norms, right? And that's all they know. And so all they know is, okay, AA is the steps, but I'm an atheist. I found this group that's, um, that will help me do these steps secularly. And they just don't, they just don't imagine that there's any other way. And I think some of them do probably struggle with it. And that's what you're, you're noticing. Right. Well, and you know, I, I'm just trying to postulate the, the fact that if you have trouble with the conventional program, right? You're here for a reason. You're not here by accident. You're not listening to the Beyond Belief Sobriety podcast or all of the other things that, you know, people do when they get involved with uh, atheists and agnostics in recovery. And it it's very perplexing to me that people wouldn't go through some, you know, simple... Uh, ideations on their own regarding a few things, all right? And I'll just, I'll just go through with it, okay? If you're being held to the standards of others instead of your own, that may be one of the reasons that you came to us. If you're constantly being compared to the behavior and the norms and the belief of others, and that's rubbing you the wrong way, then maybe that's one of the reasons. And when you say us, you mean to secular AA meetings? Yeah, uh, coming to secular AA meetings or secular recovery or any of the other modalities that are out here that I'm not, 
you know, having been going to secular meetings since 88, I'm pretty well stuck in my own little world and format as far as that goes. But, you know, I realize that there's smart and refuge and all of these other things out there that I'm not personally acquainted with. Um, but this idea of, of having to adhere to other people's standards engenders a lot of misery. And that's the title of this, I, you know, this little uh, chat we're having today, because misery is in fact optional. And if you are signing up to somebody else's idea of you, rather than your idea of you, misery may very well ensue. And that's something you can jettison. You can get rid of those people or get rid of their ideas very easily if you stand up to the fact that you're going to be yourself. And that's part of the whole deal of being in sobriety for me. If I had to adhere to other people's ideas of who I should be and what I should be, I'd be utterly miserable. I, I, I never would have made it. I wouldn't be, you know, an old wrinkled man of 72 staring at the screen today. I would have been dead in my 40s of alcoholism. I just couldn't have tolerated that. I was just, as I've said many times, I'm very lucky that I found a secular recovery program when, when I was 18 months sober because I never would have made it to, you know, 48 months, much less 34 years, right, if, if, if I'd done that. Uh, this whole idea of being held to other people's standards and the hypocrisy that you hear. When you get a coin, I've got one of these coins. I haven't picked up 34. I've got this coin here. You know, you're familiar with these coins, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all get them. I've got a million of them. Uh, but they're all, cons I, I maintain my sobriety, so they're not small. But on the top, in the front of the coin, it says, to thine own self be true. To thine own self be true. And then they say that you, but to thine own self be true, but be true to yourself on my terms. Or on the terms of Bill Wilson. Or exactly. It's the same of, thing with having an open mind, but the open mind only goes in one direction. Of, you know, Clancy or Clarence or Sandy Beach or, you know, whoever, right? You're going to be on the terms, on the terms of... And I just say the hell with that. I've never done that. And the, the fact that I see people agonizing over things like the steps, for example, and I've got, you know, podcasts, whole podcasts in the archive about the steps that people can look at if they want to. Um, and, and I see them agonizing all about this idea of, of uh, personality change, right? Wow, my personality isn't changing. Well, guess what? Your personality isn't going to change. If you're lucky, your behavior behaviors will change. And that's what it's all about. That's what recovery really is. It's about it's a process of changing behaviors. Right, 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 right. And and, and why don't have I I have this rosy, sunny outlook all the time on life. All right? And you know, I'm just going to tell people just from my own experience of having watched these meetings and watched other members go through all kinds of things 
over many, many years. If anyone out there is intruding into your personal life, that's a very bad sign. Unsolicited, gratuitous advice about your behavior, except as it may touch on you actually going out and right. drinking and using. Right. Um, you do have to be careful of that. There are people that just, they, 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 some of them might have bad intentions. Some of them might have good intentions, but they're just mistaken. But the problem is that if you really want to help somebody, you got to meet them where they are. You don't, you don't try to make them to conform to something that they don't believe in. You, you really try to meet them where they are. And that doesn't happen a lot, you know, because there, there seems to be a widespread um, belief that steps are necessary, that you must have the personality change that, and, 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 and it's very widespread. I, I will admit that. And it's really the, the, the bottom line though, is it's not true. You don't need those things. Um, if you want those things, that's great. And there's a way to handle, is a way to handle the steps in a secular way as far as I'm concerned, but it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Well, they, they try to sell you something called sober living. You're familiar with that phrase. I've heard it. I've heard it. Yeah, you've heard it. But so what's the point living. about Okay. What's, they try to sell you this sober living, but it's sober living based on their standards and their norms. What's sober living for you may not be sober, sober living for someone else at it's, all. It's weird. Exactly the opposite. Well, it's weird because... And this is something I noticed even when I was um, in the traditional AA meetings as a younger person, there seems to be a weird um, description of sobriety as something other than abstinence, that sobriety is a spiritual condition, right? And people will judge your sobriety. And, and, and you know, so, sobriety, as far as I'm concerned, just mean, it, means, it means abstinence and I'm in recovery, it doesn't, that's what it means to me. They, they, they have whole books and pamphlets and seminars on something called a dry drunk. Right. And that's, okay. and that, I don't like that either. A dry drunk. <laughs> a dry drunk. Okay. That's a way of putting people in drunk, their place. Drunk is drunk. That's right. I certainly know what drunk <laughs> right. is. And detox is detox. And once you've been detoxed, if you don't drink, you are dry. Okay? Uh, you are not drunk. They take the language. They love to manipulate language. They love to manipulate language. And my own feeling about that is because they want to manipulate you. Yeah, and I don't. I, I'm sure that some do intentionally, and some some aren't are totally unintentional in that. I well, yeah, I mean, that some people have been so indoctrinated themselves that they don't know that they are indoctrinating others. They think that they're doing them a favor. All yeah, right? you, you fall into the group way of being, right? You fall into the group think, right. the, the way the group. Right, 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 and the whole trap of somebody talking about the quality of their sobriety. I know. I know. I'm I'm with you on that, John. So far I'm not a, I'm so far I, I thought I was gonna disagree with you on a lot of things, but so How far no I disagreement. Know? Well, you know, let me put I, I'm a seventy two year old man. Okay. 
I've got two daughters, you know, uh, you know, one just turned 27 and the other's going to turn 25 in a, in a month or so. All right. And they're, they're adults, right? I don't opine on the quality no. of their life. No. They're adults. It's not. And one of the reasons we're such good <laughs> friends is that I do not opine right. on the quality right. of their, particularly of their personal relationships. Right. It's none of my damn business. If they're, you know, healthy and in, in good shape and doing what they want to do in their lives, which fortunately both of them are very much so, uh, I, you know, so if if I wouldn't if I wouldn't even consider talking about the quality of my own kids' life, how could I possibly, you know, be of a mind to come up to somebody in a meeting and start quizzing them or in any way suggesting what the quality of their life should be? So if somebody it's another one. Okay. If you're new and look, there are people out there. I won't name any names, of course, but there are people out there that are in the secular part of the program that do the same shit. Okay. And they may not, they might not even know that they're doing it, but they imply in a passive aggressive way, right. That, what you're doing is incorrect with your life. Now that's the other part of this whole program stuff is the passive aggressive part. Everybody's got their own definition of what passive aggressive behavior is. Well, why don't you define it? Well, uh, if someone is, telling you that there's a conclusion to something and it is not a conclusion. It's just a uh, supposition. Then often they're doing that in a manner in which I would call passive aggressive. I was debating the future of secular recovery with someone um, not long ago and that person said to me sort of offhand, all right, uh, oh, we really value your opinion. You're very important to us. But, of course, everything you say will never come to pass. That's passive aggression. Okay? We love you, but you're full of shit. Right. Okay? Kind of condescending. Well, not kind of condescending, actually, <laughs> you know. Really condescending. It is condescending. And, you know, I mean, uh, and, and, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm an old white man of privilege. I, I had a very, not a gilded life, but, you know, I'm, I'm very cognizant that a lot of things were given to me that might not have been given to others. And I've become more and more cognizant of that, aware of that, and attempted to be sensitive to that here in my old age because it's very easy for someone like me to give offense and not even know it. So I've got to be, 
you know, I, I try to watch myself when I'm when I'm rendering what could be construed as judgments on others. And this type of behavior within the program engenders tremendous misery that I see come across on the pages. The way I try to approach somebody, if some if somebody is coming in and they're really struggling um, with with all this stuff, I, you know, I even had a sponsor my in an old AA tell me the same thing. I just say, don't worry about it. Just don't drink, go to meetings, and don't worry about it. Well, you know, it's like you you're you're desperate to get and stay sober, and I see so many people on the pages talk about. Well, I would do anything to get and stay sober, right? And I can understand that position, but that wasn't me, right? I wouldn't have done anything to get and stay sober. I was lucky that I was in a fairly liberal, fairly accepting environment in a large, extremely liberal East Coast city. And even then, after hearing how it works read one too many times when I was 18 months sober, which I've talked about a number of times, I was ready to drink, you know, and the only thing that saved me was the formation of our, we agnostics meeting here in Washington. It just, just, it's, that's why I love that meeting so much to this day, uh, which fortunately is still going on in its electronic form and hopefully back face to face by summertime. You know, it's kind of interesting that when I've heard that too, people say that they would have gone, they would have done anything. You know, where they get that from go to any length, but anyway, they say they would do anything, but, um, would they really, would I have done anything? I don't know. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I've been sitting, I've told people in meetings before, I mean, I'm not like this. Yeah. You don't have to humiliate yourself. For example, don't humiliate yourself to get sober. I, I tell people, if you want to crawl over broken glass on your hands and knees to Lourdes to get blessed by the Virgin, and that's what keeps you sober, I'm, I can't tell you that that's not something you should do. You're, you know, flagellating yourself or crawling over broken glass or some shit like that. You know, I, I didn't get sober to be that way, all right? That's not part of the reason I'm here. I got sober to lead a full and fulfilling life, which I was able to do because I wasn't dead. And I was able to make my mistakes and go through what I went through. And you know what, what really helps people is to define what they're to, to set their own course in recovery, whatever that might be. And to let people do that. Um, That's the way recovery should be Uh, because you're never going to be, you're never going to really feel comfortable doing doing someone else's program, doing someone else's recovery. It's just, it's, it's never going to work. Um, I did that, you know, I, I was a conformist and I conformed for a long time and you know, it just, eventually it just kind of gets to where you can't do it anymore. You have to, you have to have your own path. Look, you're never, if you're dealing with true believers, you're never gonna, uh, you know, you're never gonna, be able to deconvert a real troop. And I'm not in the 
deconversion no, business. You know, okay. and I've heard you say that too. It's like, hey, if it works for you, knock yourself out, go do it. But what you're talking about are the people who don't necessarily want that, but are being made to feel that they must they must have this spiritual awakening. Right. And they're convinced that you're going to have it eventually. I've got a couple of people I met in 1987 who I still know that I know on some level are convinced that I'm going to have a deathbed conversion and, you know, call for a priest or something. Do you remember they said that about Christopher Hitchens? Oh, I'm sure they all did. Yeah, and it did not happen. No, it did not happen. It did not happen. He did drink too much booze and smoke too many He did. He, he was drunk most of the time that I ever saw him, but he was brilliant with that, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was, he, it, it, you know, his habits finished him off before he got to be my age, you know. So, but yeah, he was a brilliant, brilliant man. And, you know, oftentimes brilliant people, um, their habits get to them. But I'm not going to let the habit of sobriety get to me in a negative way. If your sobriety is making you feel bad rather than good, and you're physic and you've already physically detoxed. I understand feeling really bad when you're going through physical detox, and that can take quite some time for some folks, depending on where they've been, right? But once you've been medically physically detoxed, if you're sitting in a place where people make you feel worse rather than better, then you'd better start looking for some alternatives. Yeah, it's not necessary to tear yourself down to build yourself up. Just start building yourself up. Recovery is about getting your life back, getting getting your your life back from, from alcohol, from what alcohol took from you. And uh, it's not about, and if you're miserable, you know, a, a lot of my misery came from um, people kind of, well, there's a lot of a lot of stuff went on. There were a lot of life circumstances that were happening. There's a lot there. There was a lot going on. I had some struggles in my early days, that, and I think a lot of people do. But there's a lot of that misery, like what the, we're talking about today, is optional. And the optional misery that I had, that I chose to do, I guess, was the the BS of having to follow a, what some sponsor was telling me when when inside the little voice was telling me this isn't right but I would do it anyway. That's the kind of crap that would make me miserable. That was really optional. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have had to do that. Nobody has to do that. Right. Nobody <laughs> you know? has to do but, that. but, yeah. but I was doing that and people do. Well, here's the thing. If you express to people in a conventional program, for example, many times, and I've heard this expressed as well. If you're feeling stress, okay. They would never attribute the stress to anything they might be saying to you. They're going to attribute to the, the stress to be something wrong with you. And they're going to say to a newcomer, for example, or even somebody that's been around a while, if you get more involved with us and what we're doing and you do these 12 suggested steps and, you know, conform to whatever the conventional wisdom here is in in the group, your stress is going to go away. And sometimes that works for people when they just sort of give up and, you know, talk about going along with the flow. 
but that's sort of like a, a temporary analgesic if you really are true to yourself. Because sooner or later, it is going to dawn upon you that you've been sold a bill of goods and that you are doing things that are antithetical to your best interest. And the misery you were feeling before is nothing compared to the misery you're going to feel when you think you've been sold a bill of goods and you're going down that rabbit hole. That's why it's so, I think it's so important for people to get to a point in their sobriety, if they can, to make a clean break with all of that stuff, which is one of the things that's motivated me to getting to the point where I said to the secular program, why don't you think about making a clean break with that name so that we can forge a different way with the fellowship aspects and all the other aspects that really work for us without the baggage of this so-called spiritual program. And that's the other part of this thing, too. When they hang this moniker over your head that, oh, it's a spiritual, not a religious program, if you have to develop a you have to develop a spiritual view of things. You know, John, what I, what I would suggest now, um, I, this is what, here's where I've, I, you know, I, you, you've known me now for five years or more and I've, I, I've evolved a lot. I've come a long ways from when you probably, when you first right, met me, 2004, at, uh, yep. you know, at the convention in Santa Monica. Yep. Where I'm at right now. Um, I AA is just an Island and an ocean of recovery programs is just one little piece and you can use it or not use it as little or as much as you want to, but take advantage of the bigger world of recovery that's out there. And it's huge. I mean, there's a lot going on out there. There are people that are making connections with one another just online that have no official program whatsoever. And they're in recovery. Um, there, there are, there's just so much going on books and podcasts and whatever you want to get. And I'm not trying to sell that kind of crap, but there's a, there's a bigger universe out there than just AA. And if you, if all you want to do is put yourself in one little box, the AA box, you're really kind of cheating yourself on the great, oh, the bigger world of recovery. Yeah. Well, coming off the COVID crisis, I don't think it's escaped anybody's notice that the mortality statistics are not just being affected by COVID. They're being affected by, you know, alcohol, alcoholism, addiction, suicide, uh, and, other, and other causes of death that can be linked to various behaviors. And, you know, life expectancy is plummeting in the United States. It, has. it was already plummeting because of the opioid epidemic right. and now with COVID. No, it's fallen off a cliff, mm-hmm. right? The statistics are frightening. And uh, we're obviously, whatever it is we're doing, we may be serving ourselves, which I can, you know, confidently say at the age that I am with the number of years that I've been around that I've fairly, you know, done a fairly competent job of serving my own needs. Now I'm in my I don't know, last year's, later years, my wife keeps telling me, don't say last year's, don't say last year's, <laughs> later years. 
Yeah, she wants to keep me around. Your golden years. Uh, my gold. Oh, bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're gonna, you're gonna, yeah. Now, now I'm going to accuse you of being fucking passive aggressive. <laughs> hey, so my I'm wife and I are now gold. members of uh, AARP. How about yeah, that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got rid of that card, too. <laughs> card, useless card I got rid of. Again, but, I'm not advertising. I'm just saying. No, that's, that's all right. <laughs> but um, no, no, where are we? I'm getting off track here a little bit. But uh, uh, this whole business of, of, of adhering to some sort of, if not otherworldly con- construct, even some sort of agnostic construct, of the greater realm of the universe and all of that other stuff. Yeah, you you made it clear you do not think that people yeah. that you, that people that are involved in secular AA meetings should have anything whatsoever to do with steps. No, but, well, they can have they can have to do with whatever helps them. But I question the applicability of a religious set of principles to non-religious people. And there's a big disagreement with me about that amongst others, which will, you know, hopefully we're going to have this face-to-face convention here in D.C. finally in the fall. I'm sure that a lot of those issues will be debated on the floor and in the workshops there. But, you know, what I'm, the, the purpose of this thing right now, though, is uh, to just to indicate to anybody out there who may be feeling less than satisfied or unhappy where they are within the confines of the context of whatever program they're involved with, be it AA or secular AA or one of these other smarter, one of these other modalities, that you really have to look around you and see if you're taking the, the best advice and wisest counsel of the people that are purporting to help you. And you may find that there are some changes that you have to make in that regard, right? Uh, Particularly as it evolves around this whole business of being told that you should or could uh, have what they call a spiritual program. That may be something that's make the striving for that may, in fact, make you miserable. I mean, I I wouldn't do it to begin with. It made me miserable just listening to that shit. I, you know, that's, that's another place where I kind of evolved is I've done away with all that language. I don't, I don't need any higher power. I don't need spiritual awakening. I I don't need any of that. And it does kind of drive me a little bit crazy, but then again, let people do whatever they want to do. If you have to have, if you have to have a higher power, then then that's fine. But don't tell me I need one. Um, I just need other people, you know, to help me out. Yeah. I mean, that sparks another idea here that, 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 uh, some of this misery is connected to a fear of being shunned, a fear of being expelled, a fear of not having a peer group that you may identify with in all kinds of different ways. Yep. And And that's exactly what happened to me. And without me knowing it, and maybe the group that I was involved with wasn't even doing it deliberately, but that's what was actually happening because I I felt this need to conform to these ideas that seemed weird and strange to me 
because these people were the only people that were helping me, you know, that seemed to care. And I didn't want to lose that. And, uh, and, and then you would hear the things that you were talking about, the judging of someone's quality of sobriety, um, somebody being on a dry drunk. Well, I don't want to be that, do I? I don't want people to think I'm well, that. No, no. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's all yeah. that group pressure. And it just little by little, it does, it kind of boxes you like, it's like, you don't, you don't want to, you're afraid that you're going to be shunned. You're afraid you're going to be thrown out. Right. And that's when you're, you're sort of in a ready-made, pre-made, pre-mixed group. Let me, let me assure everyone out there that um, may be helped by any of this stuff we're going through that you shouldn't and needn't have fear of these pre-made sort of made up recovery groups, because I'm convinced that anybody that really jumps into this with both feet, as far as uh, finding the people and the places and the, and the associates that work for them, you'll find another peer group. And that peer group will be more to your liking and maybe more your type of individual. That's the peer group you might want to think about actually going to look for is the peer group that makes you feel better. Now, not necessarily the peer group you'd find in a crack house or, you know, down in your local bar or, you know, on a corner passing around a bottle of wine or anything. That's not the kind of peer group I'm talking about, of course. It's a peer group of people who are living sober, reasonable lives, but who also have something in common with you that, that may fit some sort of, you know, scheme or internal, you know, human organization that you respect. Now, it's not fashionable to say you don't respect people, right? But I don't respect religious people, for example. I don't respect dogmatic people. I don't respect inherently conservative people very much. And, oh, guess what? None of my friends, none of my associates happen, or my wife, or fortunately my kid, nobody around me happens to be that way. Because I don't choose to be, you know, have that stuff inflicted on me. But if you get in deeply involved in some of these other groups, they'll imply that there's something wrong with you if right. you're not fitting in. Yeah. And, and I think most of the time that's not so. No. And if I ever had someone um, that felt that way, I just let them know there's nothing wrong with you. You're okay. And that your recovery can be a positive experience. And it's a, it's a huge, big world out there. You, you don't need to, you don't need to follow a little narrow path that they're that, that someone else is telling you to follow. Um, right. Rule, yeah. Rules and regulations, John, these people love rules and regulations, even people in the secular movement they like to have a meeting script okay they like to have a list of stuff on the wall they like to have a book to read out of instead of communicating one-on-one -on -one as human beings in recovery they like to have some guide to sort of push your thought process your ideas your uh uh good sense along that that's how they, that's how they envision, um, that 
program. They envision it being that way with a book to read or uh, some ideology or some something like that. Well, if those things are making you miserable, if that's part of the misery, that part's definitely optional. You get the hell away from that as quickly as possible because that's when you'll get to the point where you have people making expectations or concocting expectations about what your sobriety should be. Who is going to do that but you? If somebody but you is trying to set expectations for you, that's really a red flag, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So what would you recommend, John, to somebody who is newly sober? They're just getting sober. They're at a low point in their life and they're reaching out to help. They're going to AA. Maybe it's even secular AA. And they're feeling uncomfortable with what they're being told there. So what 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 will you tell these people? Should they not go to those meetings? Should they? Well, it, 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 I... I don't, again, I was very lucky. I had a wide choice of meetings in a very liberal city, and even the conventional meetings were, some of them were not so top-heavy with some of the stuff we're talking about here. So, you know, it's hard for me to give that sort of advice to people that have fewer options. But these days, they have an option that I didn't have when I was young, and that is this internet, this Zoom thing. I would definitely say these days, if your local group is making you miserable, go out and find a secular group online somewhere that doesn't make you miserable. And if you're looking for a new peer group and you're looking for new friends and new associates in the program, I am them, all right? And get their phone number. And, you know, build a support mechanism around you that works for you, not one that works for someone else. I agree. And uh, do a little bit of research um, for these groups that exist that are just kind of, that just kind of popped up naturally. They aren't any sort of official group, but there's just groups of people who maybe they all have one thing in common, like they work in restaurants. There's another group just for black women. Um, there's, there's all kinds of different little groups, little niches of people who don't have any sort of a program, but they're all in recovery, helping each other. And I tell you the one thing that really interests me, John is getting these groups on this podcast. And I've reached out to some of them and it's hard to get them to respond back to me. I should just keep pushing them, but there's a lot of these different groups out there that are just kind of people just finding each other. And you can find you can find your peers. You can find them. Um, right. They're out there, right? Or you you better find your peers, or somebody who's not your peer may find you, and try to get you to call them sponsor. That's the other whole part of this thing. All right, the predatory behavior of I'm not talking literal sexual predation per se because that's easy enough to spot and to but people that say they're helping you but are really trying to mold you because if you don't find your own friends 
someone may find you that who will make you miserable. And, you know, that, that's, that's a, that's coming around to some of the things that, you know, I talk about in some of the articles uh, I wrote about, and, and one of the first one I wrote about my own vision of what this whole secular sobriety thing was all about, um, you know, had to do with making a decision. And the decision-making process can be on multiple levels. As you know, I mean, I feel that the primary, I mean, the real, the only real access we have to recovery, in, in my opinion, is the fact that we make an initial decision to stop doing what we're doing. However we get to that decision point, we make that decision. In my case, I don't really believe that other people make that decision for you. Although I hear all these stories about people being nudged along by spouses and courts and police and poverty and all these other awful things. But I know that in my own case, if I hadn't have made my own firm decision that this condition would have killed me, absolutely would have killed me, because I never would have stopped without that moment of decision. And once you're in this whole business of recovery, you can apply that ability to make a decision to other aspects of your recovery, which is once you're into it, and you've made a commitment to abstinence, which is the other sort of core thing that I think people sort of have to do to, to be and stay sober. But there is more to life than making a decision and merely being abstinence, abstinent. You have to have a quality of life as well. And if there are people and habits and things around you that are making you inherently unhappy as regards your sobriety, you need to make a change. You need to find a, a modality that works for you. This stuff is on, a lot of this stuff is on us. I can't blame anyone else for what got me into the program. I got me into the program. And I likewise, I can't, you know, really pinpoint. I, I had some friends that made some suggestions to me before I ever got sober and people that made comments about my behavior that may have helped sort of bring things along a little bit. But in the end, if I hadn't have made that decision, I never would have. I never would have gotten here. And likewise, I never would have made it unless I made this decision about rejecting all of the old style program verities, which I do out of hand. I won't discuss them. I won't talk about them. I won't have anything to do with them. I can't stand listening to discussions about them. All right, I'm fairly hardcore and extreme in that way. But those types of decisions, paradoxically enough, 
are the ones that uh, kept me sober all these years. Knowing that I was moving along on a pathway that was beneficial to me and by extension beneficial to others, where I could be of use to others in the end. And we end up, you know, uh, there's, there's never going to be a point in time where people end up with a perfect life. But most people I know that have been around as long as I have been around have ended up uh, older people with pretty well set and satisfied lives over a long period of time. And I saw that in people going from the old days. I saw older people who are no longer living now doing exactly that. And that's what helped me press along. Not some preconceived notion out of a book or some goddamn thing on a clubhouse wall or some sort of idea of this perfect set of circumstances like in the promises, most of which have probably paradoxically enough come true for me, but none of which I actually paid any attention to. You know, so, you know, how do we live our lives? Do we live our lives as individual autonomous human beings or as an extension of someone else's ideas? Yeah. Which is where this misery would keep going back round and round. Yeah. Um, well, I think that I think this has been a really interesting conversation and I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to it. Uh, there are people who are definitely miserable in their recovery and recovery shouldn't be something that makes you miserable because you're actually making some positive change. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that you're going to have some, you're not going to have rough days. You, you certainly are, but there's no reason that you have to conform to somebody else's idea of what your recovery is. Right. You know, right. that's the bottom line. Well, yeah. And you know, another bottom line for me is the people that you want to have around you in your life. And the people I want to have around me in my life are the people that accept me and regard me in an unconditional way. They don't second guess who and what I am at this point in time. And I, I'm very lucky. I have good friends I've had for more than 50 years who I knew when I was a hippie running around the hills of Vermont having all, <laughs> all kinds of fun, some of which resulted in me getting here. But, you know, I, I know the people out there that are the ones that I trust, both in my old, old former years and in the years since I got sober. And none of them are people that told me what to do. Right. Yeah. Not one of them. You are so right about that. I got to say not the same thing. I, I have not stuck around with anybody who was trying to tell me how I needed to live my life. It just doesn't work. Well, <laughs> that's why, right. You know, I'm just, I'm just telling people all these things they tell you to do are optional. If they make you feel good and you, you think they're enhancing your life, do them. But if you have fundamental difficulties and questions about those things, 
you might want to think of other options that will reduce the level of misery in your life and make you feel better, which is maybe what this whole podcast was about in the end. Let's feel better. Oh, speaking of feel better, it's nothing like being an old man and getting your second vaccination. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm actually getting on a plane and going overseas in a week or so. It's either going to be this coming Friday or a week from Friday when the client tells me they're ready. Uh, and I'll be, uh, you know, booking eight time zones out of this place and getting back to what I've been doing all these years. I don't know if when or if I'll ever get mine. Uh, the state that I live in happens to be, of the, all the 50 states, it's number 50. It's the very worst at distributing vaccines. <laughs> so. Well, you know, you just got to keep trying. I was very yeah. lucky. Um, you know, I, I was a, a, a patient at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, and somehow or another I got on one of their lists and the computer popped me out and some doctor authorized it. And then I got an invitation and then I went a few weeks ago. So, but it's really a lot of it's the luck of the draw, unfortunately. Well, things are looking up and, you know, as you said, you know, we, that, that convention very well probably will happen in DC. I believe, I believe so. I think that considering that uh, the J and J was just approved today that's going to be the third vaccine. There's going to be at least 600 million doses available in the United States. That's the single shot. And, you know, in terms of keeping you out of the hospital, that really works too. So I think we all have, particularly us older ones, have a lot to be grateful for. And the younger people have a lot to be grateful for too because they can get back about the business of having fun and being young. And not being miserable because some old fart in an AA meeting told you to do something that makes you unhappy. Boys and girls, you don't have to do that. And I'll even say that to the older boys and girls. You don't have to do that. And and I, you know, I haven't even I I've been remark again, I, I've remarked on this before, I've been remarkably restrained in my beautifully clean language today. So I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna mess up my Sterling record. I believe we've come to the end of what looks like an hour or so. Yeah, I think I think so. It's been a, again. I, I think it's been a great conversation. I think it's been a valuable conversation. I think that I love I love this the title of this that uh, misery is optional, um, and it it really is. And I hope that people will listen to this podcast episode who are. And newly getting struggling with their sobriety and maybe they will learn something that will be helpful here. So the older ones can give up all that bullshit they listen to all the time. Yeah. So some of them. So thank you for listening to the beyond belief sobriety podcast. Uh, we do have a website and you can visit it. It's at beyond It's a new website. And you can go there and you can learn how to support the podcast if you so desire. Uh, it's absolutely not necessary, but we do appreciate it. So uh, again, thank you, John, for participating in the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast. It was so great to have you on video. Thank you so much. It was nice to see you. Although I don't know why I've got the Stygian gloom here. <laughs> the camera was uh, working perfectly well, but I don't know whether StreamYard loves it or not. Uh, who knows? 
I guess we'll I guess we'll sort that out. Maybe if we have another one, I'll we'll, we'll do sort we'll it do out. another one. I love having the videos. All right. Okay. Good enough. Okay. And uh, you know, bless you, my son, for you have not sinned. That's right. <laughs> okay. All right. Take care, John. All right. We'll see you later.